podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello there and welcome to another edition of the Anfield Index Writers Podcast. I, as ever, am Tom Holmes and joining me as ever is Leanne Prescott. Leanne, hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm good to see Liverpool heading into the international break with maximum points. And weirdly, I'm kind of relieved that we've got an international break. It somehow feels like maybe a little bit of time, players coming back, some of them not in international duty, of course. And then hopefully Liverpool come back and, and hit top gear as we go into some some really pivotal games, so so yeah, all good from me. Uh, how about you? Yeah, I'm I'm also glad we've got an international break coming up because it's my birthday this weekend and I'm going to spend the entire weekend in a coma of alcohol and take out take my food. So <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to contend with a Liverpool game this weekend. Um, joining us this week we have got Ash Hebs and Ash, you've been on a few times now. It's good to have you back on, but we've not yep. had you on in a while. How are you? No, not been on in a while, but yeah, good to be back and uh, I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, really enjoyed the start to the season. You know, Liverpool um, really kind of li- living up to the pre-season billing, which is nice and uh, long may it continue. I'm kind of with Leanne in the sense that international break takes a bit of the focus away now and then hopefully the guys come back and carry on where they left off. Yeah, I think it's a good chance for everyone to kind of build some perspective because at the moment... You know, a lot of people are still a bit annoyed about the way the last game and a half has kind of gone. So there's also a lot of people who are still a bit of sort of a myth. There's a lot of sort of internal frustration. So I think it'd be good to get a bit of perspective, you know, come back in a week and a half's time and go, well, hang on a minute with, you know, with 12 points out of 12 Absolutely. on top of the league. So, you know, sit, sitting on top of being top of the league for two weeks will hopefully make people feel a little bit better about the situation. Um, but we are going to talk about your article, which is called Expected Improvement Following Klopp's Upgrade to the Spine. And you're talking about how what Klopp has done by bringing in key players such as Allison, Naby and Virgil van Dijk, all of whom, of course, are, you know, they're sort of core players at the heart of the team and how that is going to improve us in terms of our expected, expected, expected assists, expected against that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, that's um, right. That's right. Yeah, so I'm curious to get your sort of overall thoughts on the article and then we can dig in some of the numbers maybe and uh, dig into some of the opinions. So I'll uh, let you take it away. Sure. Yeah, I think this this piece was really, to be honest, probably written six games too early. Kind of think you, you don't really get a sense of where the season's going until about ten games in. But I, I just did it with, you know, no real preconceptions in mind, really. I thought, you know, how's the team doing? Let's just look at some stats. And I didn't know what the stats would throw out, so I just pulled off some stats. Um, I think where I was coming from was... Obviously, you know, there's been all this talk about Liverpool potentially being title challengers this season. And, you know, great start already, which bodes well, even despite the fact we're not playing 100% at our true level. So um, it was one of those really just trying to see, is there anything obvious in the first few games where we might be seeing signs of progress in terms of the midfield, especially the attacking midfield? I think, you know, defensive midfield, we've got Fabinho, who's to come in and I think will make an impact once he does uh, does come into the side, uh, but notwithstanding all that, I think you know fundamentally where we we where we fell short last season, I feel compared to Man City, who you know really set the bar another level last season. Um, but it's really about how our attacking midfielders can impact on our you know take some of the pressure off the front three. And um, 
influence games more in our favour. You know, we've spoken a lot of times in previous podcasts about, you know, the number of draws we had last season. And some of that was down to refereeing, but some of it was also down to a lack of creativity against park buses and all that sort of stuff. So I think that's the challenge for us this season. If we'd stay in the, the race, um, it'll be a case of, you know, we need more goals from midfield, share the burden of goals across the team. And um, that was the starting point of the article, really. OK, so some really good stuff there. Um, Leanne, I'll let you uh, give your thoughts on this one first. What was your take on the article? And is there anything you wanted to pick out specifically from it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good piece. It's got a bit of everything. You've got the starting points, which are non-statistical, just in terms of that improvement of the spine, which is going to be so pivotal in terms of Liverpool trying to challenge for the title. We've spoken about before, and every Liverpool fan will point to the fact that when you had a spine of of Mignolet, Dejan Lovren, um, I'm trying to think, Jordan Henderson, not that I've got anything against him, um, and so to go to Brazil's number one, to go to Virgil van Dijk, world's most expensive and a very, very good defender. Um, you've got uh, Naby Keita, who's come in, Fabinho, who we've not seen yet. You've got Bobby Firmino. You've, and then you've got the likes of Salah and Mane. You've got such an improvement there. So that's where all this positivity stems from. It's the fact that Klopp has addressed those key areas and he's really improved the, the heart of our team, as you said before. Um, and then you've got the statistical point of view, which... It's really, really interesting because it delves a lot into the midfield and, you know, the expected goals and expected assists of that midfield. Um, there's a couple of points I disagree with um, in it, which we'll, I'm sure we'll come on to later. But again, it's really interesting to see what Man City did last season, what Liverpool did last season and how, yes, it's only four games into the season or three games at, at the time of writing, I think. But just interesting to see how things are developing and how things could develop over the course of the season and, and just how Liverpool are getting on in comparison to Man City and the heights they hit last season and the heights they're hitting this season. Yeah, no, I think it's a really interesting article. I think there is a lot of value in comparing us to City over the last couple of seasons. Um, a couple of things I wanted to personally pick out just before we sort of get back into it um, is the mid is the way the midfield operates. I think I I completely take the main points out of the article in terms of in terms of expected goals and expected assists. There is a lot of pressure on Naby Keita because there isn't much in that midfield in terms of open play expected goals this if you look at our open play expected goals this season there isn't there isn't a whole lot in there outside of the front three um obviously you've got Mane, Salah and Firmino at the front three then you've got Sturridge who's picked up quite a few but then Milner who his open play expected goals is only 0.08 which is nothing um Vinaldum's open play is 0.61 which isn't too bad that's 0.15 per 90 but that's you know that's not exceptional either then you've got Cater, who's very similar, 0.16 per 90. So there isn't, there isn't, you know, there isn't huge amounts of expected goals there. You know, you're, you're looking at maybe one goal every eight games from Vinaldum, Cater, and then Milner obviously is dependent on on uh, penalties. But um, but in terms of creativity, I think one player who is kind of taking the burden off that midfield because again there isn't a lot in that midfield from Cater or from Genie is actually Andy Robertson who's got the second highest expected assists not just in this Liverpool team but in the entire division so he is he is a player who is able to take the creativity kind of off the midfield when we force it wide so I, I'm curious to sort of see obviously City you know you're going to get from them you know you're going to get a lot of creativity and a lot of goal scoring from the midfield um, but then I suppose Obviously, we're missing key players in Oxlade-Chamberlain. Obviously, Coutinho's gone. Lallana's not really featured yet. But City, of course, are missing Kevin De Bruyne as well. So it is going to be interesting to see how these kind of numbers unfold as the season goes on. 
Ash, I'll kind of throw you the floor now. Um, just sort of, is there anything you wanted to pick out specifically in terms of the expected goals or expected assists? Sort of, uh, sort of focus in the discussion. Yeah, I think for me, Tom, it was more obviously Klopp's upgraded the spine, so we're, we're fundamentally more solid than we were. You know, top keeper now should give the defence a lot of confidence. Um, Van Dyke, another season, you know, full season. Um, he came in midway through the season last year and he wasn't 100% fit for a number of games and probably, I don't know if he ever truly reached his peak fitness. So I think, you know, all things being equal, if he can keep fit and build on what he's, you know, a very strong foundation already, I think we're in a good place. Um, so I think for me, the standout from the summer was obviously we didn't add Nabil Fakir. Uh, which was a bit of a disappointment, and you can see why Klopp, you know, if he'd nailed Fakir, that would have been just probably the most awesome summer you could have expected in terms of transfers for fixing the spine of a side. So I think we are a little short, short in the creativity stakes, and, you know, the stats bear that out, albeit on a limited sample so far, certainly for this season. Um, so I think we'll definitely be harder to beat. And I think, you know, one of the comments I made in the article was that we don't necessarily need to score anywhere near as many goals as last season provided we can turn a lot of the draws into wins, for example, so we can still score less. As long as we win more games, we'll be right up there in the title chase. Um, I think the thing that really stands out for me when you take into to account the Ox, you know, Ox, for me, you know, he had a good season last season. I don't think he was as brilliant as was made out in some quarters. Um, I think, you know, he suits his very specific type of game scenario, and, you know, he's probably... Better off in games where we have less of the ball, you know, so he does a lot of the work off the ball with his pressing, his work rate. And when he's got space in which to operate, I think, you know, I'm going to upset Leanne here a little bit, no doubt. But uh, <laughs> I think <laughs> on the ball, I think, you know, our challenge as a team, if you compare us to Man City now, we're not this, exactly the same sort of footballing side, you know. The counter-pressing needs a different, slightly different approach in terms of the tactics, the positioning of players and all that sort of stuff. But I think I'm still, I still remain to be convinced about our abilities on the ball, especially the creativity against the deep-lying defence. Um, based on the evidence so far, you know, we've got, it sounds silly to moan too much given we've got 12 points, maximum points out of the opening four games. But I do think maybe, you know, there's, there's a bit of a, a problem there against the park bus so far. Um, we, we've managed to get through and scrape through, which is good because we're not, playing at our very best, but um, I think still for me, it looks like there's a lot of pressure on Cater. and I think the thing I wanted to say about Cater was, Cater was very good at being the kind of player that arrives from deep for Leipzig, and um, he wasn't necessarily the focal creator in that team, you know, he played in the deeper midfield positions, but he supported the attack, so I think by his very nature, Naby Cater isn't necessarily a playmaker per se, I think what, what he does, because he's such a great player and got such good all-round attributes, I think, you know, he can, you know, play in a different manner of ways and he's a, you know, complete box-to-box midfielder. But fundamentally, he's not what you'd call a, a natural attacking midfielder. So although, he, you know, he can score goals, he can assist. He's brilliant at through balls. You know, we saw that in the pre-season as well, just his weight of pass, you know, through balls and the way he spots openings, you know, superb. Um, but I think there's a danger that he becomes the go-to man in terms of creativity, and I don't think he's that type of player. I think where he where he benefits is when there's other creative players around him, 
and then he can kind of come come through unmarked and exploiting space and so on. So I think there is still probably inherently a bit of a over-reliance on the top three, even now. Um, so it'll just be interesting to see. I think it's early days to draw any sweeping conclusions. I think we do definitely need more goals from midfield, and we just need to start seeing evidence of that soon. I think I think that's sort of spot on, because when you look at Man City's team, you see a lot of their creativity from midfield. And as soon as that news about Kevin De Bruyne came out that he was going to be out for you know a couple of months, people weren't worried from a City perspective. And I think everyone knew they've got enough creativity there in terms of David Silva, but also people like Gundogan um, and obviously Riyad Mahrez, who they signed this summer, who can come in and, and add that creative spark. Whereas Liverpool, take um, our last game against Leicester, for example, first half we looked a little bit shaky in terms of creativity. We we weren't really doing much. And as you said there, it's, it's hard to complain too much because we're four from four. Um, but I do agree that we need a little bit more from our midfield in terms of their output and their direct output. Um, I think the one thing that's, for me, really interesting uh, is that you've said that Milner, despite a strong start, is unlikely to start the majority of games when everyone's fit, which I would argue is is wrong. I think James Milner, you're spot on, he's had a very, very strong start to the season. And when you look at the expected assists in your article, James Milner is you know, t- top dog in terms of the Liverpool lot. So I think it's kind of strange to be sat here talking about Liverpool needing more creativity and yet one of the creative people in James Milner in terms of those assists, OK, not in terms of the expected goals, but he is contributing in a creative sense. And I think a lot of Liverpool fans would actually put him straight in that Liverpool team at the moment because of that and because of his work rate. So it's just it's interesting because when you look at a comparison to, to Man City, as we've said, they've got a lot more creative options and everyone seems to be able to contribute that a little bit more. Um, and with Oxlade-Chamberlain out, as, as you've rightly pointed out, Adam Lallana needs to do more. You need more output, output from Gini Wijnaldum, which we're seeing, but we still need more of. Um, and you don't want to get in a situation where you are too over-reliant on someone like Navi Keita to come in. So... It, it is very, very interesting, and I do agree in terms of Liverpool needing more from their midfield. But I just think that James Milner point is maybe slightly contradictory. So I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that, because, you know, if we're talking about expected assists and, and James Milner's up there, then why would he not be part of that team when creativity is potentially an issue? Yeah, totally valid question, Leanne. Um, I think, you know, yeah, the, the point I was trying to make in the article was obviously Millie's had a very good start. And, you know, he is a good attacking player. Let's not forget he played out wide, you know, on the wide attack um, at Man City as well. So he's got that nous, you know, to work little openings and pick up little positions. I think my my basic assumption is when Fabinho's fit, and, I, you know, there's been a lot of discussion on the writers group and elsewhere, you know, when's Fabinho going to come in, I think. If we start with Fabinho, because I think he'll he'll be a starter, and I think he'll make that number six position his own. Based on all I've seen of, of him in the past, you know, I rate him highly, and I know he's kind of fallen off the radar uh, last season a little bit, where he didn't make a move like some of Monaco's other players did. But I think, you know, he's an awesome player, and um, I saw him in the Champions League especially um, in that season where Monaco won the league, and he absolutely bossed a number of midfields, you know, he single-handedly. Um, and I know Bakayoko, Bakayoko was it? Got his move to Chelsea. But I always thought Bakayoko was the poor man to Fabinho, who, you know, who was the real boss in there. 
Um, so, so on that basis, I think Fabinho, I think Klopp's easing him in. I think he played in a two at Monaco and he's now going to be asked to play in a three. And it's a very or, or a slightly different role that's been asked of him. Um, I think he also he didn't look 100% fit. I mean, obviously, pre-season, no one's 100% fit, but he looked a bit slow off the mark, even pre-season. You know, looked a bit sluggish. I think he's, he's quite a big lad as well, so he, he needs full fitness to really um, kind of do himself justice. But I think Klopp's easing him slowly in, and I think we'll see once he is ready, um, he's going to come in and make a big mark. And I think it's just that once he comes in, he'll be the number six. You know, Katie, you would expect, would be our number one choice uh, in the kind of number eight role, if you like. Um, now, Milner, it's not to say Milner can't get into the first 11, but I think you'd, you'd struggle to start every game with Milner in there. And I think, you know, he has, has he got the legs to start every game anyway? So I think, you know, he's definitely got a role to play as a sub, as a squad player over the rest of the season. But I don't see him consistently hitting those high levels, given his age. I think he will be rotated in and out the side once um, Klopp can choose what we call his best midfield. hope that makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a tough one, isn't it? Because, I mean, the assumption everyone's been making is that once the dust settles, it will be Naby and Fabinho plus one, right? That's I'm CB- But I think if you are looking at which... It depends what Klopp wants from the midfield, really, and I think this is something that we'll see in a lot of different games. But I, I, I agree with Leanne on this one. I mean, Milner's the player that I've been thinking, based on pre-season, based on the start of the season, is making himself increasingly undroppable. Um, and the numbers do back that up. The numbers do back up that over the last couple of seasons, if you compare Milner to Wijnaldum, if you compare Milner to Henderson, if you compare Milner to even to Lallana to an extent, although obviously with Lallana it's a lot more difficult because of his injury issues. But if you if you say it's one of Milner... Vinealdum and Henderson. If you are looking for someone to add to the attack, you have to pick Milner. For me, that's just a no-brainer. Um, whether or not Genie offers more balance, whether or not Genie offers more defensive nous remains to be seen. Um, especially if we're suggesting Genie plays number eight role, because Genie's shown increasingly over the last couple of years that his he's not necessarily a consistent performer in the number eight role. So I mean, for me, it's for me it is Milner. I think. Right now, it's Milner. I think looking forward, it should be Milner. I, I take the point about Milner's fitness, but the way the, the way the team's going to be rotated means that there are going to be a, quite a few situations where we've got a best midfield in midweek and not necessarily the best midfield at the weekend. Obviously, if you look over the course of the season, there'll be plenty of opportunities for everyone. That's the way it's going to shape up. But I think you've got, just because Milner's maybe not going to be expected to play three times in a week, doesn't mean that if it's your big games or if it's the most important games or you want to get him in as much as possible. So if you say, you know, if you say this is the amount of minutes that Milner's likely to play, you try and max out those minutes to the extent you can max them out, and you try and max them out in the biggest games you can. Because, especially against low blocks, actually, which is actually interesting, if that's almost counterproductive. But against low blocks, Milner might be a sort of a really good option to have, which is almost counterproductive, because as I say, you want to get him in the big games, but also you may be almost don't if that makes sense you want him in those sorts of games where you he can make something happen because in terms of creativity Milner is the most creative of that midfield of those midfield options but yeah I think I think it is a tough one I think the other thing which we kind of want to go and talk about is the rest of the spine so I'll, I'll ping this one back to you Ash because one thing that we've noticed in the first three in the first three game in the first four games of the season sorry not so much the West Ham one but the last three is that what Liverpool have done really effectively is they've 
haven't needed to break down low blocks excessively. They've just had to get because if you get the one goal reasonably early against the low block, that's it. But if you can get just get a goal against the low block, you can just see the game out, which is what I think we've done really well in the first few games. We haven't once we've got in front, we've made it very very difficult for teams to get back in the game. Yeah, I think so. I think we, we you know we're seeing signs of the solidity in the side now, and just also the experience. You know this. A lot of these players now have been playing two plus seasons under Klopp, so everyone's slowly getting used to the system, the way you know they've learned from mistakes in the past. I think there's just a confidence about the team at the moment, isn't there? I think even against Leicester, I wouldn't say it was comfortable viewing, especially after Allison's mistake the other the other day. But um, I think even after the mistake, you didn't really ever sense that the team were going to lose it as they had done in previous seasons. You know, even even last season, you know when we had a really disappointing start to the season where we were playing quite well and weren't getting the, the results our, our displays deserved. So I think there's just a lot more assurance now. And I think Van Dijk and Allison obviously bring bring some of that, that composure in the back line. And it, it's quite infectious. It, it kind of motivates everyone else and gives everyone else some reassurance. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think, yeah, definitely, definitely more solid. And I think that that's, you know, just by virtue of the spine. I think... For me, and again, it sounds churlish to, to, to criticise at this stage, but I think as fans, we just want to, you know, see constant improvement. I think for me, I've been slightly disappointed with our counter-attacking play, actually. Just we, we seem to be kind of rushing the ball forward. And again, it might just be a fitness thing and um, players not quite in sync with each other yet. But, you know, lots of our play, particularly against Leicester, I think if we were a bit more in sync, we would have just killed them off in that game. Far sooner than we, we didn't, you know, we didn't get the third goal, so it was just kind of holding on in the end. Um, albeit it was fairly comfortable, even though Leicester were, you know, giving it their all. So, um, but I think I think we could be better at managing the game on the ball. You know, I think off the ball we're we are definitely a harder team to break through and um, beat generally. I think you know we we are very solid as an outfit. I think I just like to see us be a bit more cuter on the ball and just take the sting out of the game by using possession and you know being a bit more careful about the way we, 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 we uh, mount our attacks and plan our attacks. You know, a lot of the time, especially on Saturday, it was long balls down the channel, the guy's chasing and then has to wait for everyone to catch up with him to, to offer a passing, passing support. So I think that's that scenario where I'd like to see some improvement moving forward, but I'm fairly confident that will come as well. Yeah, I mean, just looking at your uh, your last graph here in terms of the possession play and the goal impact, um, I think it's really interesting, which you've highlighted in the article a couple of times, is about Adam Lallana and how he could actually be a useful contributor because his numbers, these, this is talking last season because he's obviously not really played this year and, and last season he did suffer a lot of injuries, but his numbers are still relatively decent in terms of possession play, in terms of XG chain per 90 Um you know, expected assists and goals, n- not great, but he was still doing um, relatively OK. So I think if he can get back to full fitness and maybe replicate the, the type of form he was on a couple of seasons ago, he could be an interesting factor, as, as you said there, and uh, Jordan and Shakiri the same. So uh, in terms of, you know, possession play, getting on the ball, getting involved in the attacks, Naby Keita is crucial. We, we can see that. James Milner, again, uh, pretty high on there, but as again, as we said before, Genie Rinaldo, there is an improvement there. And so I think it's just you wanting that improvement across the board and maybe a little bit more in terms of direct goals, direct assists from the likes of Genie Rinaldo. Um, because Oxlade Chamberlain is going to be such a big miss in, in terms of those driving runs from midfield. 
Um, and, and then, you know, you're looking in comparison to Manchester City, there is still a gap. But it's good to see Liverpool potentially showing a little bit more from, from their possession play in midfield. Um, so, you know, we, we've stepped up a little bit. We need to now step up a little bit more um, because, yes, it's encouraging and, and promising. But if you're going to challenge for the title, you need to be at it for the whole season, especially when, when Man City are playing as, the, as they did last season. So we're obviously improving. But, yeah, I think the, the possession play uh, stats in the XG chain is, is pretty interesting in terms of uh, Genie and uh, Milner there and, and Adam Lallana in terms of a, a potential contributor. What I would say about Lallana is, no offence, Ash, I wouldn't have put Lallana on this graph just because he only played 223 minutes last season. So that sample size is just pretty much yeah. non-existent. Like, agreed, to put that... agreed. I did, I did, did yeah. consider removing him, actually, but I just thought, given put, that Ox is yeah. injured, um, he might be the man that kind of yeah. plays a bit more because Ox isn't available. I think, you know, otherwise, as far as I'm concerned, Ox has superseded Lallana in that team. You know, his output is far greater. Not just looking at those stats, because, as you say, it's a small sample size, so it flatters Lallana, but... I think just generally in terms of his all-round game and his end product and his directness, Lenana faffs around a lot on the ball, which sometimes can help us, you know, don't get me wrong. Sometimes these Cruyff turns and this kind of this way and that way, you know, helps to just slow the game down, just helps bring players into the game a bit more. But I think Ox, for me, although I kind of um, dissed him earlier, <laughs> um, Leanne will be pleased to know actually Ox, you know, he was in the pack and not having him, it just puts pressure on someone like Genie Wijnaldum, who probably his ceiling for attacking midfield play is probably quite low anyway. I think we've seen an improvement already, but I think I can't overstate how much Ox is a miss, especially the fact that we didn't sign uh, Fakir or, or some other replacement. So um, I think assuming we don't sign anyone in January, then we will need to rely on Adam Lallana, and that's why I kind of included him, really. I think he will need to step up in some shape or form to kind of fill the gap, really. Uh, I still do feel overall we're probably a bit light in terms of creativity in that midfield. Now, whether that's that's going to, you know, harm our chances this season, time will tell. But I think just instinctively looking at the data, you feel that we probably need a little bit more or another option, perhaps. don't know what you guys think about that. I think I think I think Ox is a huge mess. If I'm being honest, I think if you put Ox if you put Ox into that midfield, suddenly it looks perfect. I genuinely I think if you put Ox in that midfield, he fills all the holes that we have. Um, But what I would say is that Genie in particular, I think I think it'd be a bit unfair about Genie's ceiling because if you look back at Genie over 16, 17, which is pretty much his ceiling with Liverpool, he had a pretty good season in terms of. expected goals and expected assists obviously he ended up with six goals and nine assists that season and that wasn't didn't necessarily flatter him his xg chain's quite good that year as well which is what i feel is kind of strange because to an extent over the last season and a half over the last yeah we've not seen genie get anywhere close to that which is very strange because when he was in the when he was sort of released in the eight position in that 16 17 season he was really he was really strong for periods of that season um so i am curious to see if genie can kind of recapture that form because last season his role was was very non-existent. This is one of the things I've criticised him for quite a lot. But last season, his his xG build and his ex, his expected goals and his expected assists were pretty much non-existent, which was a real shame. Um, but yeah, um, looking forward, I'm curious to see how it all pans out. But I do think I think the main point of the article, which I do agree with, is that the fact that we've got these players 
Fabinho, uh, Van Dijk, and Allison means that there is going to we're not going to need to score anywhere near as many goals. Um, I'd like to see us improve in an attacking sense, but I don't think we will. And I, ultimately, I think what we've seen in these opening four weeks, what's what's really impressed me in this opening four weeks is that we haven't looked like a team that needs to score goals. We've looked like a team that can win games one nil, nick a two nil on the break, um, hold on for a two one if we need to. We've looked like that sort of team, which we haven't looked under Klopp at all, to be honest with you. All right, um, Ash, I'll give you one final word on this, uh, just as a summary of your article then. Um, you know, who are you looking at in terms of the people that you've, you've mentioned in the article as the ones needing to make that the biggest improvement? Because we've spoken about how you don't want to be too over-reliant on the likes of Naby Keita and, and how, you know, Jeannie Vinaldum, Adam Lallana, they all need to step up. But who is it for you that's really got the pivotal role? Because Fabinho, we've not seen him yet, but for all intents and purposes, he's going to come into the squad probably after the international break, if not um, then, then slightly after it. And so you've got that one position and we've we've debated a little bit on who's going to fill that role. But in terms of our midfield, who are you looking at as being that really crucial person in terms of bridging that gap of creativity in the midfield? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Not really thought about it in that way, actually, Dan. So it's quite quite an interesting um, question. I think I think Fabinho. The reason Klopp hasn't used him yet is because either he's not ready, he's not physically ready yet. Um, and I think the risk is that Klopp brings him in, he doesn't perform as people would expect, and then he gets labelled an expensive flop. So I think, especially with the Henderson captaincy situation as well, potentially Hendo loses his place if Fabinho comes in. So I think from Klopp's perspective, he wants to be pretty damn sure that when Fabinho comes in, if he's going to be, for example, Jordan Henderson's replacement, he better deliver because otherwise it uh, leaves Klopp in a bit of a tricky situation. But I think Naby Keita, although although I've said in the article, you know, he we've got to be careful we don't become too reliant on him because he's not that kind of player. I think having someone like Fabinho, who's more of a natural defensive player, will give the likes of Keita and Wijnaldum, the licence to attack more. So I think Naby Keita, we know what he can do once he's fully fit and acclimatised to the Premier League. I've got no doubts about, you know, he will deliver for the team. OK, so just, just back to Leanne's question then. So in terms of, you know, who steps up, I think Jordan Henderson, he hasn't played in the number eight position for a number of years now. So any memories of him being a brilliant box-to-box midfielder, you know, might not be founded anymore. You know, we don't know if he can still deliver in that role, given it's a while since he's uh, he's played it. Uh, so I think it's a toss-up between Genie and Milner, unless we bring someone else in. Um, it's really who can step up there. Um, and I think, you know, having Fabinho, you know, sitting in front of the back four, um, and plus, you know, Robertson on one flank and Trent on the other, I think... You know, there's good some good options there potentially for our attacking midfielders to, um, you know, really step up their game and contribute from a, an offensive sense. So I think it's really, if Genie Wijnaldum doesn't kick on, then Milner might well, you know, stand a good chance of staking, you know, his claim to that starting spot in the midfield. So it'd be quite interesting to see. I don't have any answers right now. Um, but I think it's going to be fascinating development to, to what should unfold. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you and, and it's it's something to watch over the course of the season in terms of that midfield and, and their creativity because that could be the difference between the two sides. Uh, but we do have a lot of midfield options and, you know, it, it remains to be seen whether someone like Adam Lallana and Jordan Shakiri can help bridge that gap. 
Okay, so our second article is actually written by Tom himself, um, and it's discussing Andy Robertson, so I'll pass to him in a moment. But it's a really, really good article which looks at how uh, Robertson has developed and how he's sort of helped Liverpool in this idea that he's the best left back in the Premier League, which actually has been talked about quite a lot amongst Liverpool fans. But also there seems to be a wider reflection of just how good a left back he is, both in terms of that attacking Monday fullback sense and the defensive sense. Um, and, and contributing to the improvement in terms of uh, at the back for Liverpool. Um, so I'll pass Tom to, to introduce his article. Yeah, so um, I wrote about Andy Robertson because I was doing an article on um, the, gen- the team in general. I was writing an article about how the team in general were playing really, really well in the first handful of games um, and how it wasn't just Mo Salah, Sadio Mane. You know, it wasn't just the, the, you know, the handful of players we expected to be really, really good that have performed really well in the opening few weeks. Obviously, Joe Gomez, Gini Wijnaldum, James Milner, other players. And I, and I was looking at some of Robbo's numbers, actually, because I was curious. And I kind of realised that, actually, oh, my God, un- under Robertson, Liverpool have been really, really good. And I thought Robertson was a key part of that. So I thought I'd write an article about him because I really, really do like Andy Robertson. He's one of my favourite Liverpool players. I think he's a player that Liverpool uh, really rely on it for an attacking sense, as I've mentioned in this article already. You know, he's such a pivotal part of our attack. But at the same time, unlike many left backs who are quite attacking you know you see Benjamin Mendy you see Marcus Alonso I think Robertson has been a really really crucial part of our defense as well um he's a player who doesn't just provide in an attacking sense but really does hold down an end on that left hand side and he's made it almost impossible for teams to consistently generate good attacks down that down our left hand side um and if you look at his numbers his numbers are really exceptional um when he when he's played for Liverpool since he since the start of last season when Robertson joined us Liverpool concede 0.73 goals with him in the team. 19 goals in 26 games with him in the side. And the expected goals underlying that is almost identical. I think it's 18.94 expected goals uh, against. So, you know, um, so you can see that, you know, this is a Liverpool team that with Robertson playing, obviously, are really, really solid. Um, I I obviously don't think Robertson's the only reason for that. Obviously, Van Dijk's a factor. Karius now Alisson a factor. You know, there's a lot of factors going into that. But Robertson has clearly been a key part of that. His defensive numbers are overall really solid. I think he contributes a lot defensively, despite being still one of the best attacking left backs in the league. I think, you know, Marcus Alonso is always going to score more goals because that's the type of player he is. But I think in terms of creativity, Robertson is the most creative left back in the league. He's one of the best left. He's pro- I think he is the best all round left back in the league. But more than that, I think is almost his status within Liverpool is something that maybe I, I wanted to kind of address a little bit because this is something I didn't get into as much as I'd like to in the article, which is kind of what this show is for. I think, you know, if you look at Liverpool, you sort of say the big no- the big names at Liverpool are Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, Bobby Firmino, and then if you're outside the front three, you're talking Cater, Van Dijk, probably now Alisson. You're talking the big names, talking big, big money names. But I think Andy Robertson has quietly gone about being one of Liverpool's most important players in both an attacking and defensive sense and has quietly turned himself into one of Liverpool's best players in just about every way. And that's why I really, really like him because he's a really quiet, unassuming bloke who has gone about taking an unpopular position and making it not just his own and not just one of the best players in his position in the world, but making him a really, really important part of this Liverpool team. Um, and that, for me, is why... Andy Robertson is is the best left back in the league and one of Liverpool's best players. And it's something that I really thought should be highlighted because I think he's one of those players who doesn't always get the plaudits that he deserves. Not necessarily because we don't rate him, but because 
I think he should be in the same bracket as Virgil van Dijk. I think he should be in the same bracket as Sadio Mane. I think he should be in the same bracket as Bobby Firmino because I think he's as important to the team. I think he's as, as good in his position as those players are in theirs was essentially what I wanted to get at with this article. Yeah, I think you made some really good points there and in the article itself. And it's really interesting because, as you said, a lot of these left backs, uh, particularly in the modern era, the modern day, they're very, very good at attacking. But because they're so good at attacking and so focused on getting forward and in support of that attack, bombing down the, the flank, whether that be the left or the right, cutting inside with crosses or you know combining with the midfield um, and providing that extra man, they're so, so desperate to do that that they actually leave themselves open at the back and that's something that we saw with Moreno he he always sort of was making these marauding runs down the flank but actually when we then lost the ball there was tons of space that the opposition could get at but you don't get that with Robertson he's as you said there he's improved the attack but he's also improved the defense um so Ash I'm curious to get your thoughts on this um Liverpool scored 54 goals um which is 2.45 goals per game when Andy Robertson started and then Moreno, uh, 28 goals in 14, he started. So that's at uh, 2.0. So very, very, very interesting comparison there in terms of the attacking sense. The defensive uh, gap is bigger, which we'll come on to in a moment. But just how pivotal, first of all, has he been to that attack? I think he's been very pivotal, Leanne. I think um totally agree with Tom's article, really. Robertson has just been an absolute revelation. Um, he's an absolute joy to watch. I mean, I was thinking watching the Leicester game, actually which no one played superbly well in that game, to be honest. But I saw this guy as just such a safe pair of hands. Um, I think, you know, for me, he just he strikes that balance between, you know, knowing when to surge forward, when to hold his position, never does anything particularly rash, you know, doesn't dive around. Moreno is very susceptible to the odd, you know, lunging dive um, that's very 50-50 at best. Uh, but Moreno... Um, Robertson, you know, he, he's just got a composure to his play, whether it's defensive or attacking-wise. And I think I've just been really impressed with him. Um, I, I was a bit frustrated with him last season when he first came to the side. You know, he was seemed like he was just trying to cross the ball in at every opportunity. But I think he's really tempered that now. And I think, you know, you see now that he's got, got a sense of, you know, understanding with his teammates, especially with Mane on that kind of left-hand side. You know, he, he knows when to when to arrive, when to hit an early cross, when to hold on to the ball, wait for support. You know, so I think he just varies up his play really, really well. Um, and I think because of his good decision-making, I think fundamentally that's what sets him aside from Moreno. It's his decision-making is generally of the highest order. And um, I think he's a, he's a very much a thinking footballer. You can see that he, you know, it's nothing rash. It's all very measured, considered. And, you know, he knows when to, when to go, when to drop. Um, it's just got really nice balance to his play. So I think, it, you know, Long may it continue. I really hope he continues this form because it's, you know, it's massive. It's going to massively impact our ability to challenge for major honours this season. Yeah, I think what Robertson does really, really well is his, and this is one of the things that I really thought I thought about him is the quality of his final ball um, because he doesn't necessarily get into attacking positions. He doesn't. He doesn't necessarily get into positions to put the ball into the box. Loads more than modern day fullbacks. For example, if you watch, say, if you look at say Alonso and you look at Mendy, they'll probably get into attacking positions more often than him. And there's a reason that both of them will have a higher percentage of potentially. They'll create more chances potentially. Mendy, especially, I think, is probably will probably see Mendy is going to have a lot more chances created. 
than any than Robertson. But what Robertson does is he, he the chances he does create tend to be really high quality. And this is something that I found genuinely staggering. Um, he created 23 chances last season, and eight of those were big chances. That's a really really high percentage. Uh, and if you look at his expected assists per key pass, which is the sort of numbers that aren't really a, this isn't a number that I've seen spouted anywhere, but it's an interesting one. But none of the players who are have got reasonably high expected assists or if you've even got reasonably ex- high expected assists per 90 have got a higher expected assists per key pass than he does which is a number i think is really interesting because it suggests that the quality of chance he's creating is really high even if he doesn't necessarily have the volume as i said over 0.2 expected assists per key pass means that he essentially when robertson creates a pass it's it's almost a big chance on average because of the quality of the chance that he puts in he puts in a lot of chances this is the reason that he ends up with um He'll probably end up with about 10 assists this season on balance um, because the chances he creates are of such a high quality that it makes it very makes it a lot easier for team for our players to score them. Um, he ends up, you know, with ones like, for uh, for example, Salah against uh, I think it was West Ham where Salah's tapping it in from two yards uh, or um, I think it was was it his assist from for Salah on the opening day when, it, when Salah tapped it in from about two yards. But again, you know, it, it's you know, it's a, he creates a lot of tap ins for other players. And that's for me why he's such a, a good player creatively. Because if you if you give Robertson the chance to put the ball in the box, you know more often than not it's going to be a good delivery. So that's what for me he really brings to the attack is he brings a consistent quality of delivery. And if we can see this season, which is what I'm hoping to see from him, is that he gets a higher volume as well as a higher um, big chance creation, then we will hopefully see that and continue to improve. He's already created 10 chances this season compared to 23 last season. So he's definitely going to get a much higher volume. But he's also maintaining the quality of chance that he's creating. As I say, this season so far, he's uh, creating 0.17 expected assists per key pass. So that's still, you know, reasonably high. He's already created two big chances this season of his 10. So that ratio is still about one in five, which is still really high. And obviously he's got a couple of assists already. Whereas someone like Benjamin Mendy um, is maybe going to get more assists because he's playing with players you can do things like Raheem Sterling did at the weekend, where Sterling picks the ball up 20 yards out and just lashes it in the top corner. Um, you're not necessarily going to see Robbo get as many of those assists, because um, I just think that's not necessarily the way he gets involved in the attack. It might have been the sort of thing that you might have seen him do quite a lot if Coutinho was playing. If, if he was playing alongside Coutinho, he might stick the ball three yards to Coutinho, and Coutinho might lash it in from the top corner. But um, that's also partly why I don't think he and Coutinho quite clicked was because I thought Coutinho was too selfish for Robertson. Um, one thing I think potentially with Alonso is he won't score enough goals, but that's not necessarily an issue for a left back. I think contributing to the attack in a, in a positive sense doesn't necessarily mean scoring goals. Um, I think if anything, Alonso unbalances Chelsea's attack almost by the way he plays because he he doesn't leave them enough defensively, whereas Robertson, he does sometimes get in the box, but it's quite rare you'll see him playing as the centre forward. Um, and when he does, it's usually in situations where the game's already won. Um, for, so you'll see him, if we're 3-0 up, Robertson has a bit more, he's unleashed a little bit more, whereas when we are, when the games are tight, as we've seen already this season, you know, he's still getting in the good attacking areas, but there's a real balance to the way he does it. Um, so that's kind of my thoughts on his attacking sense and why he's such a good creative force. Yeah, I mean, moving on to the defensive aspect, I think a lot of people will will be able to point and, and take note of what Robertson has done to help Liverpool's attack and, and down that left-hand side. Obviously, grabbed a lot of assists last season and, and got off to a good start this season. Um, 
But something that's potentially less talked about is his defensive contribution. Um, you know, I know a lot of people are very, very big fans of Moreno. He, he's got a bit of an infectious character, despite not being um, one of the best footballers Liverpool have ever had. Um, but, you know, when you're comparing Andy Robertson to the likes of Moreno, there's obviously, as you would expect, a big difference between the two. But I think, as you sort of alluded to there in the attacking sense, when you're looking at the likes of Andy Robertson compared to Mendy, compared to Alonso, that's when it gets interesting. And that's why there's all this talk about potentially Robertson being the best left back in the league. So, Tom, do you want to go through the stats? Because there's absolutely tons of them in this article. Um, so talk us through them. And then, Ash, feel free to feel free to jump in and have your say. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of defensive stats in general, but I thought I'd sort of throw some in to sort of compare them to the other left backs in the competition because I think it's kind of it provides a bit of context. Um, defensively, I I compared his defensive numbers to Ashley Young, Ben Davis, and Marcus Alonso, who are sort of the three main left back contenders. I don't think I think the way Arsenal play, I don't think Monreal can really be considered. And obviously Benjamin Mendy didn't play lots much last season, so it's difficult to compare him at all. Um but you know his tackling percentage is up there with the others. It's very, very similar. He doesn't get dribbled past that often. He was only dribbled past uh 0.6 times per ninety, so he's general he's generally dribbled about twice every three games, which is really good. I think his def- the dribbled past for me is such a key part of the way he plays the game. Um, he doesn't get dribbled very often. He's got a quite high tackle percentage. Um, but generally, it's the fact that he doesn't really make many errors. He didn't make any defense last season. And obviously, defensive errors is not a good stat. But generally, if you're not giving away any, that's still a good sign, if that makes sense. He doesn't concede many stupid set pieces. He doesn't tend to concede free kicks or penalties. He doesn't tend to get booked that much. His discipline's quite strong. He doesn't tend to make stupid passes out the back. Um I think his decision making overall in the, in, in the defensive third is one of the things I really like about him. Um, it's one of the things that we criticise Moreno for a lot. I've defended Moreno on this point because I think um, part of the problem with Moreno is he's one of those footballers who, and I've said this before, Klopp can give quite complicated and difficult instructions. And players like Lovren and Moreno, it's not that they're not intelligent. It's just that sometimes what they are being told to do by Klopp isn't what they should do because they don't necessarily have that game awareness to apply what Klopp is saying to a context where things are things are not the way we would want them to be. Um, it's And I think Robertson is one of those footballers who can take what Klopp says and contextualise it. You know, yes, we want to be trying to pass out the back as much as we can. Yes, we want to be trying to transition to attack. Yes, you want to make sure you're five, ten yards further up the pitch when you do. But sometimes you just need to show a bit of in-game awareness of what the situation of the game is. And this is something that I think Robertson's really good at. He doesn't get caught upfield as much. Um, he doesn't tend to give the ball away as much. And he doesn't tend to give away stupid set pieces as much either. Although, admittedly, I think the stupid set piece thing is a, more of a technical thing um, than necessarily a, uh, a situational thing. But yeah, I think overall, I just think he's a really, really solid defensive defensive player. And may, maybe it is just that Klopp started realising tactically we needed to change something and maybe Robertson is a bit of a beneficiary of that but equally I think you know he's more than earned his spot in that team defensively and teams do not tend to target as much as much defensively anymore um whether that's down to Brent on the other side being inexperienced or whether that's down to Robertson just being a boss I guess it's difficult to say but I think defensively Robertson adds a lot to this team and as I've as I've said before crucially for me we're looking at seven goals every 10 games when he plays and that's pretty solid. One thing I did want to point out, actually, is when he's the games where he's played, there's only been four games he's featured in 
where we have conceded more than one expected assist, more than one expected goal, sorry. And in three of those games, we gave away penalties and none of those penalties were his fault. Um, so I think for me, it's kind of it's kind of critical that you can sort of see maybe he is a beneficiary of the way of the timing issue. And that is something that is always that is the thing with Liverpool's defence. It's always going to be impossible to say how big an issue timing is because we had Van Dijk, Robertson, Carrius and Trent all kind of established themselves at within within about 10 games of each other. And suddenly our defence improved miles. So it's always going to be hard to say who has a big an impact on that. But for me, defensively, Robbo shakes up pretty well. He does the business. Ash, what, what's your thoughts on that in, in terms of his, his defensive contribution? And of course, as Tom sort of alluded to there, there's been a lot of talk on Liverpool's defensive improvements and how maybe that's due to Van Dijk. That's obviously now attributed to Alisson as well coming in in terms of adding that world-class goalkeeper. But Robertson is a very, very important factor when you're discussing why and and what factors have made Liverpool improve? Absolutely, yeah. And I think um, Robertson's been superb defensively since he's come along. I think whenever I watch Liverpool now, with him as the left back, I just feel a lot more security and don't get get as worried that he's going to do something silly. I think he's just just head and shoulders above above the other left backs we've seen in recent times defensively. I think he's got the athleticism and the the game intelligence, as I said before. You know, he's um, he thinks about what he does. It's not kind of um, Always based on emotion. I think, you know, Albie's a lovely character. You know, don't get me wrong, everyone loves him. He's like that kind of annoying little brother kind of um, character, isn't he? But, um, you know, he didn't always have the composure, you know, um, very instinctive kind of player, which is good. You know, it's got its merits and, you know, in certain situations that works out well for him. I think Robertson's just more measured just generally. Um, and I think it, it's really helped, you know, I think Van Dyke, it's no coincidence that Van Dyke settled in so quickly alongside her. A solid left back there. I think, you know, had it been someone else, Van Dyke might not have shined as much as he has done already. And obviously Van Dyke has his qualities, don't get me wrong, you know, he's been superb since he's come in. But I think it's the confidence that Van Dyke brings to the defence combined with the, you know, the improvements that Klopp was already making um, to the, to the defensive play as a team, not just the defence itself, but as a team, I think, you know, we play quite narrow last season and that was all with the view of trying to stay as compact as possible um, to, to minimise the chances that we gave up because if you guys remember we were, we were giving up very few chances but they were at high conversion for the opposition so um, I think it's a combination of things really tightening up to the system but bringing personnel that can really shine in that system and I think you know that left side of the defence in particular has just really benefited from uh, from both Robbo and um, Van Dyke coming in, and I thought they just gelled really well. And you see now, you know, when, when Robbo bombs forward, Van Dyke just steps across, stays a bit deeper because he knows that, you know, the team's at risk. But I think that the nice thing is that, you know, we're not playing the best football yet, but already, you know, Tom mentioned it earlier, you know, not just defensively, but offensively as well. You know, he's um, already shown significant improvement on last season. So, you know, if he continues going at that rate, you know, you add Fabinho to the mix more solidity in midfield. You've got Cater who can cover for him. I think that's where he can really develop not just his um, defensive game, but his offensive game as well, as he's given free freedom and licence to Rome, safe in the knowledge that he's got you know good, competent players behind him that aren't going to make mistakes if, if he's um, left a gaping hole at the back. So I think it's just really nice options, and I think he's going to really benefit 
as this team gets better, as new players come in and improve the team, you know, I think he's um, his prominence in the team will continue to grow. And I think, you know, when he was at Dundee, you know, there was a lot of talk about him being a very much playmaking left back. You know, he, he would take the game and make things happen. And I think we're starting already, you know, seeing signs of that. You know, he's growing in stature and he's taken ownership and responsibility. And you see that, you know, he'll, he'll go on a driving run or he'll just, just raise the tempo a little bit. And we spoke about earlier, you know, if we're not going to get enough goals from midfield, well, maybe someone like Robertson, if he really continues to improve it the way he has been, he'll be a real difference maker for us. Because, you know, if you compare Man City, just going back to City again, they commit a lot more men for going forward because they play a very possession-based game. So it's all about keeping players as close to each other as possible. And they get plenty of men in the box. But I think if Robbo has that license to roam and, you know, play more... Um, advanced position more regularly in, in in terms of, you know, during games. I think our midfielders should benefit from that as well because, you know, he's he's shown that he's he's choosing his balls, he's playing the right ball. It's not always a high cross, it's a low cross or a cut back. You know, and it's it's high quality as Tom said. And I think, you know, that's where our midfielders might just get on the end of things a bit more and start to chip in with some goals from the middle, which will help the overall team. So yeah, very very positive I think and uh, I just hope he stays fit and uh continues his upward trajectory you know it's really exciting for such a young player yeah I think it's also really positive that we've we're now in a position where left back was previously a a part of the pitch that was kind of Liverpool's weakness Um, as we mentioned before there were gaping holes left in in terms of we had marauding left backs who would then be a bit susceptible in in terms of um, defensive work but we've got someone in Robertson who is good at both ends of the pitch and we've we've discussed that and we've shown that via stats um, in Tom's article and I, I think it's really good to see a position of weakness turn into a position of strength and this is now a player who we are talking about as, as being one of the most important players and probably one of the first names on the team sheet for Liverpool. Um, left back isn't always the, the funnest position, you don't always get the plaudits you deserve um, and Andy Robertson even said himself, you know, who wants the left back shirt? But actually, I'd say quite a lot of Liverpool fans do because of just how good he is and, and how good he's been in terms of eight million from Hull. Kevin Stewart going the other way. What a bargain that looks like now. Um, but but we'll wrap up there. So I'll go to you first, Ash. Um, have you got any plugs or anything? Uh, no, um, I, I, was, I was actually started my piece. Um, it was based on the defence and it, it kind of evolved into a midfield piece. So I think I would like to... As part of the theme about comparing us to Man City, I'd like to look at how our fullbacks, both but on both sides, are, are comparing. So I'll probably write something along those lines in due course, and also look at what our centre backs are doing on the ball as well, because I think you know we we need if if the midfield isn't being creative enough, we need to find sort of more creative solutions, and that's from deeper as well. So um, that's something I'd like to explore maybe when we've got bigger sample size later on in the season. And Tom, anything from you? Um, nothing specifically at the moment, just the usual stuff. Mate, don't hate us out. It's a spicy one. We argue a lot about Henderson. Um, somehow I ended up being the one saying that, um, Henderson was good despite the, well, I, I, despite the fact I gave him a 5 out of 10 because I thought he was really not good. And, uh, key stats, those are the only two at the moment. Uh, I will have something out the next few days, but I don't know what it's going to be yet. So <laughs> until I know what it's going to be, it's not coming out. <laughs> keeping, keeping everybody waiting on that one. Um, yeah, I've got a couple of articles that will be coming out in the next few days and a couple of bits for um, just in terms of the Premier League as a whole, um, just doing some some various bits and bobs there. The other thing is, of course, uh, keep listening to the podcast. Um, brilliant to have Ash on today. And 
from an AI point of view, I have to plug it. I have to say how good it is. Gags is not paying me to say this, but the King and AI podcast part two is out now. It is brilliant. Um, definitely check that out if you haven't. It's very informative and, and very, very interesting listen uh, from Paul Dalgleish and Kelly Dalgleish himself. So definitely check that out. I'm pretty sure it's AI Pro only at the moment, but it will be going out um, on the free side as well. But you can get uh, a free seven day trial. You can get, I think it's for a year subscription. It's $39.99 at the moment. So a couple of deals on there. Uh, but de- definitely check that podcast out if you haven't. Otherwise, that's it from us. We'll be back next week. Um, and hopefully we're still enjoying. Well, we will be enjoying top of the league. So we'll see you then. Podcast Network.